welcome everybody. I got something for you to clap your hands about, okay? Now, I don't know if you know this. We're, we're not just one church in one location, and, and what you see is what you get. We are one church with multiple locations. What that means is, if you're brand new, one of our locations is actually in a local prison. Uh, the, what we call RCMU, Rapid City Minimum Unit, it, it is a prison here in town. So we're like, we, have, we didn't know we had one of those. Uh, we have one of those. And so now years ago, we decided to not just go there and have a small group of people circling up and talking. We actually brought a whole service there. And so even, even these sermons, they watch that. And you need to know that we have baptisms last weekend and we have them this weekend. And you need to know that last weekend, 18 inmates got baptized. Yeah. And I know that I say this frequently, but, but to be baptized in prison is different than being baptized elsewhere because the pressure and, and flat out the teasing that they get immediately afterwards is just stuff that you and I rarely have to navigate. And so, fellows at RCMU, we're glad that you're in on this. East, hello. And we know that you had baptisms too. And West, there's baptisms. And this weekend, there's baptism. In fact, some of you, you're like, I'm supposed to get baptized and you didn't sign up. It's okay. You still get baptized. Some of you are like, I'm supposed to get baptized, but I didn't sign up, and I didn't know actually until David just said it. So just prepare yourself. I'll talk to you about that. What we as a church have been talking about is grace. I think we need a little bit more grace uh, in the news and at home and everywhere and all of life. We've been talking about grace, the scandal of it, because it's messy and weird. If, you, if you're unaware of the definition, I gave a definition. This is pretty standard. Grace is unmerited favor. And if you're like, okay, you need to break that down just a bit more, I'll break it down a bit more. It's unearned favor. It's unearned love, unearned forgiveness. Grace is this piece of life that we work hard at trying to earn, but you can't. Earned grace is no longer grace. So there are verses in the Bible, though, that mess with us. One is in Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved. If you're like, what? This means to get right with God, you got to have grace. And so this says, for it is by grace that you get right with God, that you get saved, your sins are forgiven through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, what I love is that I upset some of you last week. That was the goal. Because all I did was talk about grace and not the other side of grace. And that was the intention to see if you'd come back. Because there are verses like this, not by works. And this will mess with us. Because when you talk about grace, the Bible just straight up says, not by works. And if you're like, works, not by good behavior. Not by being perfect. Not by being nice. Grace is bigger and stronger than that. So it should lead you to a really messy statement. Here's the scandal, and this will disrupt some of us. My behavior doesn't save me. Some of you are shielding your kids right now, going, don't look. Because are we not a group of people that like to demand certain behaviors trying to get to someone's heart? And this is why it messed with some of us is the preacher talked about grace and didn't get to some of the other stuff. Because when I say my behavior doesn't save me, you got to press that further. That means we're talking about rules. That means we're talking about law. 
And that means that you and I should be having the questions, all right, David, I'm tracking with you on grace. Grace is unearned, and, and my behavior doesn't save me, so that means that there's rules. You're wondering about the rules, and some of you sent emails about the rules, and some of you had conversations about the rules, because we're a rules-driven group of people. Rules are not bad, by the way. But think about when you launch into something new, how the rules come up so fast. If, if you start a new sport, and someone talks about, here's the rules, there's out of bounds, there's offsides, there's you can't do this, you can't do this. If you've ever flown, typically what we lead with when you're flying is like, hey, we're going to talk to you about how much we like you in a second, but here's the rules. Don't smoke in the plane. Listen to the attendants, and you begin to think, show up to work. Work's typically like, hey, we're glad you're here, but here's the deal. Here's when you clock in, here's when you clock out, and there's rules. I'm fascinated, even though you may hate rules, <laughs> How often we lead with rules. In fact, the church, come on. Hasn't the church been notoriously just locked in as a group of people who are all rules driven? Some of you, this is your first time in church, and that's the very reason you didn't want to go to church or that scares you is that that you think this place, these people, this environment is all about the rules. And sometimes we get a difficult, we think it's all about the rules or not at all about the rules, and we're like, I'm totally confused. And that's okay. So, but if you're on the point right now going, right, David, preach it. Let's get rid of the rules. They're evil. Like, <clears throat> back off. I would contend we need rules. And I can prove it to you just basically on some products you might buy. Let me, let me show you some of this. If you were to buy a chainsaw, it appears as someone on this globe or used to be on this globe needed this. So they got, I don't know if the company got sued, but if you can't read this well, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Rule number one, got it. Thank you very much. I was about, what come? Does it not scare you a bit? <laughs> Some of you are uneasy and you're like, yeah, it's so dumb. You need to know that's there for a reason. They weren't just bored one day. <laughs> let, let me show you an, another one. If you ever have a hanger in your hand, Don't swallow it. You're welcome for that one. Some of you are like, thank you very much. This sermon's so good. I needed this. I needed this. Let me show you my favorite one because I could just think of all the college students who might have had fun with this. This is a washing machine. Uh, high spin speeds. Do not put any person in this washer. What I love is I bet the first draft didn't have do not capitalized. And then they had some incidents. I'm like, hey, uh, send it back to the graphics department. They need to... Uh, Make, make it bigger. So, so do not put any person in this washer to reduce the risk of serious injury. Do not open the door when, hey, just trying to help everybody, clothes are moving or water is in the washer. See, some of us go like, that's good. This, do you want, the only reason they're here, these rules are in place, is because people did that. They're like, you know what? That's moving. Let's put someone in there. Let's put someone in there this is going to be fun. And again, that's why I reference college students. Come on. That's who did it. Come on. <laughs> if you ever found yourself in the midst of college and you were at a laundromat, you thought about it. You and your roommate, you're like, come on, no one's here. Let's try it. Let's go for it. <laughs> see, see, this is what we do. I, you and I have a tendency to reject the concept of rules because there are rules that we don't like. That's just the truth. No one listening right now, seriously. No one listening right now 
likes every rule that's in place. I know some of you kids are like, you know, my parents love every rule. No, they don't love every rule. And in fact, I would argue with you all day long, and it would be fun for me to do that, that there are rules that are necessary. I'm not saying all rules are good, but rules are necessary. In fact, if you've always wondered, so listen up, teenagers, and if you're older than that, listen up too. Here's what we talk about with grace and rules. Grace repairs your heart. Rules protect it. And if you've always struggled with the balancing act, can we call it a balancing act? This concept of, well, there's grace, so, so David, it's unearned. That means I don't earn myself to, to heaven. I don't earn God to like me. I can't earn that and make that happen. I just believe, and there's that grace. But, but then we wonder, so does it matter if we break the rules, keep the rules? Do rules even matter? And I would tell you, oh, yes. Grace repairs your heart. If you aren't aware of this, grace is something so necessary in your heart. Grace is something that if you want to actually get fixed, because I know you can't see it, I know you can't see your soul, and I know you can't see forgiveness, but you need it. Eventually, if, if you live life long enough, you know you're going to get to a point where all of a sudden you're going to say, I need, I need someone to deal with my regret and my shame. Grace does that. Grace is so unearned and it's loving and powerful and forgiving and you and I desperately need it. But you can't just say grace, I'm gonna, then I'm going to go do whatever I want. There are rules in place that protect us. This says in Romans, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. I think this helps explain a little bit. You can't earn your way to God liking you more. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, right with God. No one's going to get right with God in God's sight by what you do, how good you are. The Bible is crystal clear on this. So does it matter? Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, rules are not meant to dictate your life or some of us might say ruin your life. They're meant to reveal to you what is not healthy in your life. And the right rule, many of us would say, is life-giving. The wrong rule will destroy you, won't it? So let's press further. Let, let me show you this. I think this helps us. Rules are meant to protect you from missing the goal. If you've ever thought about your goals in life or what you want to achieve, I mean, we can say this is basic. Let's just go to basic stuff. Some of you, you want to graduate from whatever level of school that you're in. Some of you, you want to get a certain job. Some of you, you want to get married someday or have kids or, or someday you want to just, you're dreaming about retirement and you haven't even started life yet. I don't know where you're at on your dreams and goals of life, but I want to tell you that there are rules in play. There are rules in play that will help you not miss those goals. But most of us, can, we, you know this, we live in a society where rules are not popular. In fact, me talking about rules, some of you are scared right now. You're like, what rules is he going to say? What rules do we actually have to follow? Is, am I going to feel shame in this place? Am I, or am I going to feel like a worthless? No, 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 listen. There has been study and done. I think it helps us understand culture because you need to know the, the trend or the flow or the current of culture. A, a psychologist pressed into this. And I thought this was absolutely brilliant regarding rules and choices. Barry Schwartz is the guy's name, which I think is an awesome name. I'm jealous. This is his assessment of culture. This is not what he's saying should be true. Are we tracking? It's not what he's saying should be true. This is what he's saying is the trend. The, the overarching majority of people have locked into this kind of thinking. Maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. 
Some of you are like, yes. And what we have bought into is the idea to maximize our freedom is to maximize our choices. And we now live in a world, whether you like it or not, that the amount of choices you have is the a new agenda. If you could just have all the opposite effects, some of us like, there shouldn't be major rules. There shouldn't be all these things that we're telling people to do and not to do. And we're saying, we need to be free, so break the chains, right? Let's get out of this. The, the best way I can example the idea of removing rules is to talk fish for a second. Now, if you were, if you were here recently, I talked to you about the story of my, my daughter, once a guinea pig. So meet guinea pig. <laughs> I'm brilliant, okay? This is, this is guinea pig. He seems to be doing pretty good. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever owned fish. They smell, and they're gross. And that's about all I have to say about fish. But this is guinea pig, and I want you to understand. See, some of you are like, let's look at this context. You're like, wow, that's a, that's a small... It's a small jar for a fish. I mean, some of us right now are like, that's kind of restricting. I mean, he needs a bigger bowl, and we can argue all day long how, how large the bowl ought to be. And you need a lot of us. This is how we see life, by the way. If, if you've never looked at life in regards to the rules that should be and the rules that shouldn't, look at it like fish bowls. Basically, his rule in life, what he's not allowed to go past is the jar. He can't. In fact, some of us, though, have a difficult time, the idea of someone telling you, hey, here's the rule. Here's, here's the line. Don't go across this line. And, and you and I, some of us who are type A control freaks, are like, thanks for the line. Now I know what to aim for. And some of you, that's what you've been doing your whole life. <laughs> and so some of you are living life in a way you're like, we need to free this fish. And so, so let me help you on that. I thought it would be fun for us to let's help him be free. I mean, he needs more choices. and so I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some, <laughs> see, I can see it in some of your faces. I can see the idea that, yes, that's what we've been doing. If you just think, think in the world of grace and rules, choices, options, what you can't do, but even think about what you shouldn't do. I can free this fish. I can free all of his limitations. And I can tell you what, he will not get freedom. He will get death. He will get paralysis. He will lose his life. And one of the greatest ways to understand the power of rule is perhaps rules give life. Perhaps rules help us get to the goal. Perhaps rules are not the enemy. It's just when you and I have a tendency to lead with the rule, things break down. I don't know if you've ever read this in Jude. A lot of us don't read the book of Jude. It's, it's near the end of your Bible. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, I want you to think about God perhaps in a different way. Have you ever considered that the rules that God puts in place are not meant to just go away because Jesus died and, and broke death? By the way, Jesus said he came not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. 
But have you ever considered, I don't know if you like God or not, or think God's maybe a bit too conservative or, or a bit too traditional. I wanted you to see the agenda. I mean, come on, this is near the end of the Bible. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. If you've never thought of God this way, I pray that you do. That God's agenda with you, his hope for you and I, is to figure out how to keep us from falling on our faces. It's to keep you and I from destroying our own lives. We're good at that, aren't we? Sometimes you're like, you didn't have to have someone train you. Here's how to destroy your life class. Come, No, we got it. We, some of us mastered it. See, you don't need help falling. And God knew this. God knew this in such a powerful way. He's like, I want to keep you from stumbling. And look, so that, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Let me walk you to a scenario. See, God's intentions are to keep you from stumbling so that you can be presented to himself and he can have joy in it and you have no fault. That sounds like the good deal. Let's talk about that. To envision that, let me walk you into a courtroom. Imagine yourself, you're in a courtroom, and you're at the desk, and you're staring at the judge, and you judge is looking kind of mean at you, and like, there's a problem here, because you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you haven't been in court very often, and all of a sudden, you've got the judge staring at you, but here's what happened, everything gets disrupted. All of a sudden, the judge comes down from his desk, literally stops court, walks down and heads towards you, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> judge comes up to you and calls you by name calls you by name and says, hey, will you come out into the lobby with me for a minute? Well, you're thinking, well, I mean, you're the judge, so yeah. And so you go out into the lobby with the judge, but, and everyone in the courtroom is going, what in the world's going on? We're not sure exactly, and, and there might be people upset about it, but now you're standing in the lobby with the judge who's about to judge you. It seems a bit odd. And the judge is staring at you going, all right, I'm about to go in there and judge you. You're like, I, I know. Can I pay you off? Some of you were thinking it. But see, remember, you, you can't earn grace. It's, it's not earned. So the judge says, I'm, I'm about to go in and, and judge you, and I'm a just God. I do what's right. But I wanted to prep you and help you understand some good things that you should say, some good things of how to respond to what I say to you, and I want you to know most of all that I love you. See, some of us don't see court that way, but verses like Jude help us understand that God's intentions are not to throw you to hell. And the fact he intervened so much, he put some rules in place. One of the most beautiful pictures I can ever give you is the idea of a judge not wanting to condemn you. Some of us see God that way. He doesn't want to condemn you. Not at all, but he's just. And so if you've been trying to balance this whole idea of, David, I like grace. I'm not sure what to do with the rules. I feel bad when I break the rules, but do the rules matter? Do they get me into heaven? Let me, let me present to you the danger in all this. Here's, here's one side to look at. It. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. This is not my own. This is an old statement. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Some of you now are reflecting back to your childhood. <laughs> and you remember, oh yeah, if your parents were all about the rules. Don't raise your hand, but I would imagine there's a group of people listening 
that your parents didn't tell you that they loved you, they did not support you, they did not encourage you, they felt that if you could just learn the rules and follow the rules, that that's all you needed for the rest of your life. And what you did is you rebelled against it. Maybe not physically, but at least emotionally, you rejected them a bit. You see this happen all the time. That when it's all about rules, when you lead with the rules, there is a group of us who will fight back quickly, and there's a group of us who will wait to fight back and eventually reject. If you don't know this, there is actually a term called spiritual abuse. And I even know folks who will throw the law of the Bible at people over and over and over again, trying to make people just feel guilty so that they find themselves submitted. Rules without relationship, that is destructive to your own soul. But let's flip it around and look at the other side of this. Relationships without rules lead to pain. I'm not even just talking about a relationship with God. Can you imagine a a marriage where there are no expectations laid out? Or when the rules do get broken, whether they were even spoken or not, many of us understand those pains. See, rules should not be thrown out the window. Rules are powerful. Rules are significant to us, and I hope that you'll begin to press into this idea that you actually want to balance them. You don't get yourself to heaven with them, but they're important. 1 John, we know that we have to come to know him if we keep his commands. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, if we keep his commands. Are you catching on a little bit that God actually values the behavior, the rules, how we function in life? He has given us commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Thank you very much for that encouraging word, David. And the truth is not in that person. But keep going with this. But if anyone obeys his word, in other words, your behavior matters. Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Must live as Jesus did. And so some of us abuse that. We say, oh, so it's back to I got to live just like Jesus did for him to like me. No, it didn't say that. It just says that behavior matters. So let me boil it down. Here's the whole series in one statement. You're welcome. Behavior doesn't save, but it does reveal. It does expose a little bit of your soul, not maybe just to you, but to other people. It brings something in front of you that you've got to consider. Many of us just want one or the other. We want all rules, and it's how good we follow the rules, David. It's so much easier, and it's legalistic. It's rebellion that is on the way. And if you're on the other side, grace, grace, grace. If you don't think behavior matters, then you think this fish lives if I break his bowl. And I don't believe you believe that. So there is something in the middle. Isn't it often interesting how it's not on the far right or the far left. It's something in the middle that you and I, if we press into it, we find life in that. So Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I just changed what it all meant and the value of it. In fact, Jesus, well, upped a bunch of stuff. Hey, uh, the old rule was, hey, here's 10% of your, your income. You give that. So here's the deal. If someone asks you for their shirt, your shirt, you give them your shirt and jacket, and you just go way above. Jesus just began to up so much stuff saying, hey, you want to you wanna love people, you're going to sacrifice. 
many of us think we want the rules to get in heaven. You don't. You want grace. Grace is so significantly powerful. It changes everything. So I hope that you back off a bit if you're in the rules section. <laughs> if you think you can earn your way to heaven, you can't. But if you think rules don't matter, they do. The Bible, I want to give you one last verse. The Bible opens up, I think, a pretty profound scripture. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Let me help illustrate this. My guess is the majority of you know the song Amazing Grace. Most of us have heard it uh, a bunch of different environments. Maybe you don't know the history behind it. The writer is a guy named John Newton. John Newton was a guy who started out at 11 years old, started working at 11 years old, trying to earn a living. He was not a good guy. In fact, uh, we have some of his job evaluations. I know you're like, way back then? Yeah, we do it. Here's something that was said about his first job. He, is un he has unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. <laughs> In other words, he's a loud mouth and he's got a hot temper. Well, at 11, he got fired. Eventually, he joins the Royal Navy, but he rebelled against their discipline, and he deserted. See, that perked some of our American ears. He did what? See, we don't like deserters. So they eventually capture him, put him in shackles. Eventually, he is let out, and he joins a ship helping trade slaves. Here's what he said about himself. I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. Some of you are like, where is this dude? He's already dead. Don't worry about it. He's a bad dude. Horribly bad. In fact, he spent a good portion of his life helping slaves get brought into slavery. That's his, that was his job. He loved doing it. He mistreated people like crazy. And he finds himself one day at sea. <laughs> and a storm comes. And the grace of God made him fear his life. Some of you, you remember this moment in your own life. He's in this storm. He thinks he's going to die. And he finally reflects, okay, I, now i got to deal with life after death. And he has this moment with God where he recognizes, I need God. I need grace. Horrible man. He realizes that he's a horrible man. See, the beauty is, he didn't just recognize his need for God, he owned it. And I can track out the rest of his life with you, but some of the most profound things is, this dude that was horrible gave his life to Jesus. In other words, he accepted the grace of Jesus and he started a church. <laughs> now, I don't know what you think of people who start churches, but he's probably not the one that, I mean, if you saw that resume, you're like, no, you're, you're not doing, nope, nope, please don't do that. But not only did he do that, started a church, wrote hundreds of songs that the future church would sing. And not only did that, but he helped William Wilberforce press in and tried to stop the slave trade. What I want you to see is John Newton was a horrible man, but accepted God's grace and he let his behavior change. He didn't just think that it was this internal moment with God where he's like, well, yeah, I don't want to go to hell, so guess you're the one God. No, he says, I believe that I can't earn my way. 
but I'm going to let my behavior change. I'm going to press into God's rules, God's way of living, and I'm going to press that in. Not in a legalistic way where you're trying to earn your way to heaven or trying to earn the grace you receive, but it's so powerful. That song, Amazing Grace, was written by a man who I can only imagine is visualizing the horrible things that he did as he crafted such brilliant words that you and I sing now. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. See, you and I have to press into this. I don't know where you are when it comes to you and God, but what I can tell you is it doesn't start with the rules. It starts with the relationship. And I know that we've gathered in this moment where we're either watching online or we're at church and we're all, okay, we're talking about God. But have you personally, and I'm talking about your family members or someone else, have you owned the fact that you can't earn your way to heaven? Have you accepted God's grace where the Bible's clear? It, he washes your sins white as snow. And in South Dakota, we get that. We get the, the beauty of just white everywhere. Have you owned it? And if you've owned it, have you let it transform you? Or have you backed off and not engaged God after you got your ticket to heaven? In fact, today is one of those moments. Some of you are here and you've owned the grace, but you've never let it transform you. And I believe with all my heart, the beginning of that transformation is when you go public. Not when, not when you're a baby, but when you go public about what you believe in your soul. So we do baptisms, and this is the crazy thing. We said, hey, we're talking about grace. Let's do baptisms two weekends in a row. Some of you, you're supposed to be baptized today. You didn't come ready. <laughs> I don't care. And I hope you don't care. See, we've got clothes for you to change into, towels to change your room and all that. But I'm going to press in. Are you going to let an excuse of the timing in which God has spoken to you today get in the way of you letting this press into your own soul? I don't care if you love your hair today. I've given that up. I don't care if your family's not here. If I'm talking to you and you feel like I'm talking straight to you, and you're like, I haven't been baptized, David. I mean, maybe as a baby I was, but I, not as a believer, not as someone who's owned the grace, then today's your day. But I'll back one step back. Have you repented like that verse said? Have you said, God, I can't fix this, but you can. And if you haven't, I thought it'd be imperative that before we move on, before we celebrate whoever's supposed to get baptized, which that might be you, Let's allow everyone who's listening to take the first step of just surrendering their life to God. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to pray for us all. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will press right into every one of our hearts right now. And God, fight off everything we've got to throw at you, excuses, justifications. And God, I pray that you will do whatever you wish in this moment. I can only imagine that you have amazing things in store for this community. 
your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're ready to surrender your life to God, you're ready for him to wash you white as snow and forgive your sins, then just say this to God. Just silently, privately. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I have not been living the way I should be living. I've not been depending on you. But God, that changes today. I surrender my life to you. Please forgive all my sins. Fill every corner of my life. I decide today to follow you. God, I pray for these moments for us as a church. Help us to help the world know what grace is. Pray this in the name of Jesus.